to the Radical Brilliance Podcast with Arjuna Arda and brilliant guests from around the world who are contributing to the evolution of humanity. Today's guest is Alex Ebert, who's going to talk to us about social anxiety. So here's your host, Arjuna Arda. Welcome back to the Radical Brilliance podcast. Today's guest is Alex Ebert, the original founder of Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, but also a very accomplished musician in his own right. He's also a filmmaker, came out with a fantastic documentary film this year, and he's also the author of a book about being cool and, um, and kind of beyond cool. So in this episode, Alex is going to talk about the phenomenon of social anxiety, which is really all pervasive. It starts probably for most of us in Wow, even in as early as uh, when you first go into school, certainly it hits hard by middle school and very hard by high school. So it's the desire to fit in, the desire to be part of the tribe, to do what other people are doing. Of course, for many of us, that's how we end up smoking cigarettes, even though it's probably not good for you. It's how we end up you know, drinking alcohol too young, even though you may not particularly want to. It's how we end up sometimes um, having sex when you don't really feel like having sex, the desire to fit in, the desire to conform to the tribe and to get approval. Alex suggests in this dialogue that this is one of the greatest impediments to real brilliance because, of course, when we want to fit in, we want to do what's been done before. We want to fit the mold. So we want to make music that sounds just like David Bowie or... um, Vampire Weekend or Britney Spears or whatever. We want, to, we want to make music that sounds like something else so we can fit in and be approved of. Really, anything original, anything startlingly original and new is going to arise from the transcendence of social anxiety. So Alex knows a lot about this. Everything he does is original. He really knows how to be present with and how to transcend social anxiety. So please enjoy this conversation with one of the most brilliant, innovative, fresh minds that I know. Have a good time. Hey, Alex. Oh, hi. (laughs) Thanks so much for sitting down. Yes. Yeah, it's cool. Yes. Uh, You know, I wanted to loop back to, we were sitting almost exactly at the same table a couple of days ago when I first arrived. I wanted to loop back to to where we were then. And um, we were talking about vulnerability, men being vulnerable. And uh, at some point, I just felt inspired to say something vulnerable. And I said to you, you know, you know, it's amazing, but I'm sitting here with you, kind of just hanging out. And you've created these incredible portals, like through music, that have like been for me, uh, like scriptural. And it's an amazing thing to sit with somebody who's been responsible for that kind of experience. And so I said something to you like, you know, wow, you know, you're like, in, in terms of music, like you're it for me. And your response was, you said, no, I don't really know how to take that, right? Which I've, I've had that same thing. You know, I recently had a birthday. It's 
that was my birthday on Facebook. And I get all these people who I can hardly remember saying, you changed my life forever. And I had the same experience. Like, how do you take that when it's, when it's directed at you personally? You know? So it kind of led, for us, it led to this, this inquiry. Like, when something like Man on Fire descends through you, does it come from you? Is it kind of fixed individual? Or are you just taking a message or something beyond you? I think we, we each have our own lens, you know, and then and we're we're refracting the the universal thing we're feeling in our time and space, but our time and space is connected to the the whole thing. So you take you take credit for the um, for the work, yeah, uh, the work put in, but then the end result is more like a celestial archaeology. Right. Which, you know, I love talking about our, our celestial paleontology, but where where you're sort of dusting off these bones of of sort of non-temporal animals, um, songs that already were in existence that just needed to be animated. And once they've been animated, they're their own autonomous beings and you can't, a really great song you step back from and you watch as this, as this being that is fully um, its, own, its own thing. It doesn't have an owner. It was, uh, it was just waiting for someone to come animate it. That's my feeling of it, you know. So like, yeah. Um, yeah. So so when it comes time to you know the content within the work that the work generated, I can take credit for the work, but then the content of the work, I think you can take a lot less credit to no credit for in the end. If it's like I did the work to animate that animal, but the animal was the animal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I have the same experience. I'm I'm kind of I I would like to say writing. I'm not exactly writing a novel. I'm kind of receiving a novel right now. And I have the same sense. The entire story is already written, just in another land. And I just have to go for a walk every morning with a little recorder. And it's delivered to me bit by bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the case a lot. And then sometimes, you know, I'll experience a proper animal. And then I, and then I insert all my own, like, verbiage, like, in, like me stuff that is sloppy and right. completely just okay. self um, you know, a purge of words that, that are, the song could have been sung in a million different ways and I sang it this way. And you have, and so you have that, you also have that with inflection, you have all of these things, it's not the story we tell but the way we tell it. Yeah. And part of that is the work too, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting, the stories exist and they, and, and, and yet we refract through them. I think, like we were also talking about, to what extent will you go to invent, um, realities for yourself um, to one effect or another to you know to one end or another so um, one in this context being uh, to what extent are we manufacturing the idea that it's not us in order to keep our ego in check yeah as, as sort of a tool of moderation yeah um, uh, so it's and it's hard to decode decode that you know? yeah 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 um, but yeah, I mean, you can also take, you know, your point of view, just do whatever serves serves you best. Just Adopt create. the belief that's most useful. Adopt yeah. the belief that's most useful. But right now I'm on this whole truth kick, so that doesn't quite do it for me. What's the, tell me your truth kick. Well, I want to know what, what the reality is. Yeah. You know, if, and not, not that I can discover it in this lifetime, but I'm interested. You wrote a song called Truth. Yeah. And that was actually your song, it wasn't with the band, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a song yeah. by yourself. Yeah. 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 So, Three minutes ago, you said, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, you said sometimes 
there's some me in there, and then you equated me with sloppy, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of shine the light the other way. So what do you know about that which is not me? Like if me is sloppy, then what is what's the opposite of me? Well, so like I was in I was in Nashville recently, and these these guys were these sort of middle-aged guys with no attitude, singing with no attitude, playing with no attitude. There was almost nothing of them in the performance. And um, so the song was essentially, you're hearing sort of the blueprint, unmodulated, unmolested, um, straight from sort of the heavens of song world, straight to your ears, you know, and everyone's dancing. And it was one of the only places I've been where no one's looking at the stage. Everyone's okay. dancing, looking at each other, because the stage is not presenting anything other than the song. Yeah. They're not presenting the personality on top of it, and this whole sort of like modulation through like my personality. Right. And and I found it like really jarring, and then really, it's sort of really enlightening and teaching. So, as as the audience, you're actually just witnessing people doing something they would do on their own anyway. Mm, well, I guess I guess my point is that. Um, the sloppiness enters when you try and add your own affect yeah. to the piece, yeah. um, your own lament, your own whatever. And sloppiness is a good thing. Yeah. Unprofessionalism is my profession. Right. So like, um, yeah. yeah, sloppiness is not a bad thing. It makes things porous. Yeah. Um, so you know, um, you can hear a great, like a great rendition of an amazing song, and then you can hear a really shitty rendition of an amazing song. Um, because someone was trying to trying to do something that uh, that was that the song doesn't necessarily want you to do, you know that, that the animal um, objects to. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So you actually created, or I don't know if you created it or it just happened, a kind of alter ego for the band, right? The, I mean, you, you, a lot of people actually. I've seen at concerts, people go, hey, Edward, Edward, you know, like, that's, you're Edward. Yeah. Right. But, and I think once you told me that you, you threw a football far into the, into the head on the field that was Edward Sharp, and then you ran to catch up with it. I mean, in a way, uh, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's a very sloppy process, like the process of, of evolving. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, when it, when thinking of like my ideal self and and trying to get out of this um, this rut I was in at the time, um, yeah, I think imagining your better self and and making assertions, um, declarations of who you are going to be, who you who you are, and then you have to go catch up. Otherwise, you really are a heretic. Like yeah. you, you know. Um, and you know, and if you don't catch it, then you land where you land, and you admit to whatever, whatever that is. But as far as like the the, the alter the alter ego, it was more that I felt lost. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who Alex Ebert was at that point. Um, in in that, I was I had gone through a really negative like major label experience, lost entirely my my sense of um, of instinct. Um, I was doing what I thought I should be doing. I was on every level with my girlfriend, with buying a house, with a car and a cell phone and, mm -hmm. and trying to write songs for the radio, the whole thing. So I had to stop doing all those things, you know, the girlfriend, the house, AA, all of it, mm -hmm. you know, um, and just sort of try and 
uh, get back to sort of a, a place of, of danger where it's just me and I have to I have to commute with the universe. Um, I don't have all these sort of like these these blueprints to sort of fall back on. So um, creating a different name um, sort of allowed me, the real me to inhabit a space that I understood. Yeah. 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 So it's less an alter ego away from myself and the, the inverse of that. I find myself, I'm not a musician, but I find myself really mesmerized and, yeah, mesmerized by certain musicians who appear to be motivated by a very different set of values than most, most music comes from. So, the other person I felt this with a lot was Leonard Cohen. Right. It, was, it, was hard, it was hard to pin down what it was, but he clearly wasn't driven by the money. Mm. He actually lived very, in a very similar way that you do. He clearly wasn't motivated by the fame. He, he seemed to be, in his personal life, mostly motivated by just kind of connecting and being kind, you know, right. like, and actually like enjoying each moment. Right. So I, I found Leonard in, in, just endlessly fascinating because yeah, it, was, it was very ineffable what, what, what he was motivated by, and it wasn't separate from the rest of his life. Right. And I feel the same with you. It's like it's why I felt driven to come to New Orleans, you know, right. that. It doesn't seem like you're gonna. You're gonna. It doesn't seem like you're gonna do anything in particular to be more commercial, or uh, or a lot of things that usually musicians will do. So, what's? Uh, do you have any sense of what the driving force is? Because I can see, like, you're absolutely on it all the time. Yeah, yeah, I'm on it all the time because I'm addicted to the discovery process of um, it. it we all look for, for meaning, you know, every individual, the, the, the thing that individuates you is your own cinema of yourself, like the importance of your life, the meaning of your life. And figuring out what that meaning is, um, is a process of sort of self-narrative, you know, and... Um, well, you used the word addicted. Ah, uh, 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 sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry. Okay. So the thing that really... The thing that I was writing about this today, actually, because I'm doing this fucking movie, and, and I have to explain this. What a movie. fucking movie, by the way! I've seen some of it, and oh my god! Thank we'll, you. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a movie like nothing I've ever seen before. So anyway, so the individuation, the ego is involved in the idea of your own cinema, of your life, your own your own meaning, and the ego, um, for me, in my case, is wrapped up in this sort of same cinema that we all go through to, to discover meaning for ourselves, the same mytho, like self-made mythos. But for my case, I am, in my mythos, I am a, a Indiana Jones of songs. Okay. I, I run around the universe, um, dusting off little parts, a wing here, a foot there, and then I put them together because those animals help the world. Right. <laughs> like, that's my story. Those animals help the world, so the service I'm doing, the thing I'm doing, where, where my ego is wrapped up in is how many of those animals can I set free and, and animate? Yeah. And it is a, a sense of like immense purpose. And so yeah. that, that creates this sort of like incessant drive where there's this, this hierarchy of importance in your life all of a sudden. You have this celestial mission. Yeah. Um, and when someone invites you to something, you yeah. weigh it against the amount of time that that's going to take you away from this amazing mission you're on. Unless, unless it's actually part of the mission. 
unless it's part of the mission, yeah. which is always my favorite. <laughs> Do you feel like you're in service to something beyond what you can understand? Yeah, for sure. What's that like? I actually, it's funny, you know, this. it's pretty weird. I'm having such deja vu today doing this. This is so similar to talking to Larry Cohen. You can't believe it. Really? That's just so, so many of the, because I actually asked him the same question. And incidentally, we were also drinking tequila. <laughs> this is the first time I've done an interview drinking tequila since talking to Larry Cohen. So there's a lot of similarities. And I actually asked him the same question. Uh, you know, so what is it? You know, he, he used to talk a lot about, you know, he used to talk to this you. He used to tell this, you know, I did it all for you. And I said, well, what is you? And he said to me, I never talk about that which I cannot understand. Mm -hmm. What would yeah. you say? Yeah, I think that, um, I think beauty is ineffable. And because it is, we're, tr we're drawn to it, because it's confusing. Why do I feel this sense of mm. immediate, um, overwhelming poetry for this moment? Mm. What is that? Mm. And that, and that or, or that feeling of a song, why, is, why are my hairs standing up on my body? Yeah. What is that? And it's that space, that mysterious space, that we don't seek to figure out, but that we, that we seek to like, live within. You know this magic space that makes us feel. Yeah, and it's um, makes us feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes us alive. Makes us alive. Yeah, yeah. And because yeah. it's a commune with these forces that we can't deign to, you know, comprehend yet. Yeah. Or, or if we do, cool. Like it doesn't change. Like yeah, yeah. I have, I have my own little like feeling on like what goes on, but it's sort of irrelevant to this conversation. Like, yeah, I don't know for sure. And that's, but, you, but you know how, you know what it feels but I, like. But I know I'm a part, I'm, I know we're like, I'm in cahoots. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, and that's, a, that's a fun feeling. Yeah. Yeah. If you're enjoying this podcast with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might also enjoy our eight-week online group coaching program. It's an opportunity to go deep and get stable in practices that enhance your own brilliance. We only take 20 participants at a time, so in a small and intimate group, you can go through the whole Radical Brilliance cycle. You'll have an accountability partner in another brilliant aspirant from somewhere around the world. The eight-week coaching program involves eight one-hour webinars with Arjuna Arda and a group of other Radical Brilliance coaches. You'll also receive one 30-minute coaching session with your own personal coach every week and one 90-minute coaching session with Arjuna himself. It's the ideal opportunity to drop deep into yourself, into the source of your own creativity, and to get support for an entire eight weeks of mining your own radical brilliance and bringing it forth into a project or creation that can truly serve the future of humanity. Find out more at RadicalBrilliance.com and click on the Programs tab. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's it's. Uh, I don't know. It's it's 
sometimes it seems to me that musicians like you are almost like performing the role that a shaman would play. No, no, that I don't like. You know, well, okay, <laughs> we don't have to go there, but, but in, in the broader sense, because you know, when I when I when I mean when I talk about music, you know, and and then Edward Sharp comes up. If not everybody knows the man, but the people who do are like, you know, wow, you know, like it. What you said about, um, yeah, like awaking aliveness, awaking this sense of beauty, like like waking you up to feeling again. Yeah, there's certain music that does that, and it's hard to say why it is, and it's not even within the choice of the of the artist. You know, it's not even like they particularly intend to do that, but it has. Well, I think they were woken up by difference. So we have by variance, you know, by relief, by relief in the in the in the texture of life. And yeah. when something rises up and we run into it, we're like, whoa, what is this? And that that sort of relief, that that happening where where something feels a little different, is basically the premise I think of like of art. Iterating on successes and copying successes is not mm. art to me. To me, right, right. To me, art and art can mean a billion different things. But to me, art is looking to try and add something that wasn't there. Right. You know, that's 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 art to me. But it, it does really affect other people when you do that. Like sure, sure. Well, well that's it, it affects them because if you do it properly, it's not just new to you. Yeah. But it's new to them. It's right. a new way of expression that they yeah. didn't, they didn't hear the story quite right. like that before. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So actually, what you what you're saying, what's key to that is that it's. Because it's non-imitative, it's not actually sourced from anything that's been done before. It's sourced from something. It's else. sourced. I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare say that that that, that everything is in, um, influenced by by one another. You know. But it's not copied. Ideally, it's not an outright copy. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, you see, for instance, like when you see reproductions of plays, it's yeah. the same copy. Uh, it's a copy of it's a simulacrum, but like they're doing it in their own way. Yeah, you know, and and yeah. and that's still that's still art because they're trying to figure. Like, in fact, almost all reproductions of plays, unless they're sticking totally true to like the original production or something, yeah. are trying to come up with their own their own spin on it. Yeah, you know, right. why? Because they want to create that relief where you you feel this new sensation, like oh, my life has been added to. It. Yeah, well, so musically, that'd be like doing a cover. You know, like, mm -hmm. did you hear Jeff Buckley's cover of Hallelujah? Yeah. I mean, it's like a complete new work of art. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I remember you, you did it. There's a song on Persona, and I'm, forgive me, I'm going to butcher lyrics if I try and remember them, but you, 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 you wrote a song about Ho, Hey, and, uh -huh. and, and your kind of pissed offness of people borrowing Ho, Hey. Stealing. Stealing, stealing, yeah. right? Skip that. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, yeah. It's not a. It's not a. Um, that would be an, ex an example of copying. But then, in the in the I don't know chorus or whatever, you you say, uh, but wait a minute, I'm claiming ownership of that which is not mine. Yeah, yeah. That is me throwing the football, and I haven't quite caught up to. It. Okay, got it. Yeah. yeah. No, it's still it's still like yeah I a little you. upsetting artistically to. to yeah. What I wanted to imbibe into the culture of art, yeah, music, yeah, the landscape of musicians. Is a willingness and a like you can, like to, un to unprofessionalize the production, the sound, the mm -hmm. presentation. Mm -hmm. To not have set lists, to yeah. not have yeah, styles, yeah. to just like do your thing rambunctiously and yeah. and however however it comes. And for that to be the main sort of like influencer uh, that people sort of got from from the music. But instead, what happened, of course, and like you know anyone could have guessed, 
the success of it was iterated on to make it more commercial. And that process of like taking a, taking a, taking a success and iterating on it um, for, the, for the purpose of repeating the success. Like some of those guys went to the same producer that like says he produced our album, but like he just did a couple things. The album they went to him, they're like, how can we do this thing? And he yeah. took, in an, there's an article where he took credit mm -hmm. for the Hayes and Hoes. And he yeah. said to that band, Lumineers, he said, well, yeah, I was just in the studio one day and I was like, you know what would be really cool on this? It's like some Hayes and Hoes. Right. And takes credit for their, their whole, the fucking whole song. Right. But meanwhile, he had just listened to our whole album and, and, and been sort of like doing this weird, producer routine thing and um, you know and of course our stuff our stuff had already been recorded so for me it was a little bit you know like my band my band went up to of monsters and men in a bar I wasn't there and they were like they confronted them the whole band and the, that band is fairly large too but there was like eight From of Iceland right yeah, yeah. And they're like so uh, so that one song those two songs are pretty uh, pretty similar how did you guys get because they also share the same they knew about us before they came out, like a couple years before, because we shared the same agent was their manager. Okay. So they had our stuff. So we had reason to, you know. And um, yeah, it was a whole funny confrontation where they said that they, they felt like they were being bullied. Okay. <laughs> so we had to um, you know, erase the footage. Right? We were filming them. We are like, so how do you feel about the... I wasn't there, though. It, hurt. it sounds pretty funny, though. But you still, at the same time, you know, you, you just said that, you know, you've got this, if you throw the football far enough ahead, yeah. there's a feeling that none of this belongs to us anyway. And I, I have that same sense, you know, I write books, well, but, yeah, go ahead. So I got, I got, so, so the reason why I can forgive them and is because I got the haze and hose from Marconi. So I was stealing it from him. Okay. I guess what I'm talking about is not, not the bells and whistles of something which someone can take and appropriate and then turn into their own thing, but this, the meat of something. And for me, the, the, you know, the meat was passed over for the bells and whistles, and that was, that's something that ideally I'd like to do again in my life, but communicate it more clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. So, where, where are you, where are you now? You know, you said that the formation of Edward Sharp was like a, a sort of lifting yourself out of a dark period. Yeah. And now we're what, ten, we exactly 10 years later? Um, yeah. Yeah, 12 years later. Yeah, yeah uh, same, same thing, basically. Uh, break up with baby mama, and dissolution of dreams, and, yeah. um, and exhaustion from touring and working. Mm. So I stopped touring. So I did a lot of things, like, and I was touring because I thought I was supposed to. So I was back in that pattern of sort of doing the thing that you're yeah. supposed to do. And so, yeah, I stopped all that. Uh, some things were stripped from me unwillingly, and other things were willingly let go of, and yeah. and, uh, and started incubating again. And then, um, and then similar to last time, it's like last time I thought back to when I was a kid. Like, what was I doing when I was a kid? Before I was, when I had instinct, when I was pure, and it was this, it was this campfire sing-along music, and that's what the premise of Edward Sharp, where the kids are singing out of key and people are banging on things out of time, and I was like, that's what I want, you know, just this pure unbridled, non-radio, non-business sort of just stuff. Fun, earnest stuff, uncool shit, you know? Um, and then for this one, I thought back to the period just after that when I was more like seven to 14 where I was just rapping okay. all, all day, every day. That's all I did. <laughs> yeah. And I had some rap groups but between the age of 14 and 17 and then I just forgot about it and started doing movies. But um, 
Yeah, so it was a similar thing. I was like, you know what, fuck it. The only reason I wouldn't do this is for fear of, like, is for social, like, social, socially anxious reasons, you know? Yeah, right. Um, whatever those, whatever those things may be. So it was like, it was kind of a cool fuck it moment for me. It's super nerve-wracking to, to, um, to disturb your brand. Because totally, of, yeah. Because of the backlash and expectations of people for you to behave a certain way. And yeah, almost everybody iconic has thoroughly... Uh, oh, you can't, you can't ever... Their brand, yeah. Yeah, you can't ever... I mean, I don't relate to artists personally that, that are able to sing the same way their whole life or yeah. to make the same kinds of songs their whole life. Um, that's the kind of artist people like the most, but um, yeah, I don't get it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I, I think there's a story where there was some kind of an event with uh, Dylan and one of the Beatles, let's say it was John Lennon, I don't know, Paul McCartney, and they asked Dylan to sing Blowing in the Wind at this event. And he said, what, you're going to sing She Loves You, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so we, we hesitate to disrupt our brand for social anxiety. It's going to kind of upset people that, we, that provide a sense of, of existing support. Um, but you've actually written a whole thing about, social, about how we're motivated by social anxiety. Yeah. 405 pages. Okay. Last action. And counting, right? Mm -hmm. So let's, what, what, what do you, what's your, let's, let's go into that. What's, what's, what have you, what was your understanding of how we're motivated and driven by social anxiety? Well, uh, what I discovered <laughs> through thinking is that uh, social anxiety is the, the, the biggest um, organizer, uh, invisible organizer of humanity, like, you know, on the face of the earth. Like everything, the reason we're wearing shirts right now um, you know, like social anxiety. Um, okay. It's hot as hell. Right. You know, um, like all these things that we're we've been sort of we've bought into that are sort of the, the acceptable modes of behavior. Yeah. Those are all expressions of social anxiety, i.e., not wanting to disturb your place, your good grace, um, in the group. You're not wanting to be excommunicated. Not wanting to shiver and die, and you know, or in the heat, whatever sure. it is, alone. Yeah. It's that ancient biology of like you know, and I also think that loneliness is a biological mechanism to drive us to groupings. Um, you know, these loneliness, hunger, um, these are all like 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 universal biological mechanisms for our survival. Right. Um, and I think the socially anxious, driven variants of those are like that. Not discussed and, and sort of um, and looked over, but I think that social anxiety has this stigma as this sort of acute, um, you know, failure of will or brain or whatever. But in fact, it's actually the pervading right. force of, of, of our organization. Yeah. So once you realize that and that you're not going to shiver in the cold and die, you can sort of extricate yourself from that fear and um, and at least sort of you know modulate it or um, check in with it on that level. Which brings everything back to cool and the ideas of trends and what's what's hip, what's not hip, what can you not do now? Right, and, and so that's all actually being driven by social anxiety. Of course, yeah. If you if you if you, if you didn't have social anxiety, you wouldn't give a flying fuck what's cool or not. Do you know how many hipsters it takes to screw in a light bulb? Um, what you don't know? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Major FOMO now, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's 25. Uh, everybody loves FOMO. That. Major FOMO, yeah. <laughs> oh god, I fucked that one up too. You see, now I'm like really losing. The game. What? Major FOMO? No, I said FOMO instead of FOMO. FOMO, yeah. fear of 
fear of missing out, the fear of missing anxiety. Yeah, yeah. yeah so you know, in, if you go back in history, people who overcame the driving force of loneliness or hunger, for example, would either become you know, solo warriors like samurai, or they would become mystics and go to caves and not, and, and then they would do things not driven by loneliness, right? So you can actually already see archetypes of people who, who transcended those collect those those organizing principles. So today, what that what does that look like? I mean you've you've obviously looked into this. If you're not driven by social anxiety, if you're no longer trying to be cool, what does that make available to you? Obsession. So it essentially makes everything available to us. Yeah. Um, because cool is about individuation. Um, and you know that differentiating sort of quality, that, that joke, the what you don't know, you're not in on it, you're not in the inner circle. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and that, which is a socially anxious sort of technique to make you have that FOMO and want to be in the inner circle. Um, because the inner circle is smaller and more defined and therefore more hip yeah. than the larger hoi polloi who are just like consuming whatever. And the more niche your knowledge and the more differentiated, the cooler. So what happens if, if we drop that? We just have a pool of humans. Yeah. You know, so, and I'm not saying that, like, that's necessary. like, I, I like niche knowledge and clubs and whatnot. Yeah. But it's nice to, to note that those are divisive techniques, yeah. you know, for, for this, for the point, and that really the end, you know, I mean, aside from, aside from, like, specialization in medicine and things where really deep sort of vertical knowledge is, like, objectively beneficial, um, you know, it's worth considering how beneficial these, uh, these various classifications are. Actually, it's funny you mentioned medicine, because uh, I've spent the last three years working on a project called Heart-Based Medicine. I'm just coming out with a book now, which is exactly about how trying to fit into this increasing specialization actually causes distance between a doctor and a patient. It mm -hmm. actually takes the heart out of medicine. Mm -hmm. So you've written 405 pages. Like if somebody wanted to, if somebody realized that, that FOMO, Social anxiety, wanting to be cool, was actually just just sapping of their life energy. Where would you start to dismantle that? Um, I think uh, contrary action, you know, is like the best place to start. There's nothing like jumping out into the road naked if you're afraid to jump out into the road naked. Right, right. There's nothing like kind of quelling that fear or confronting it, um, you know, to a point. But um, yeah, I mean, I think like like in the book at the moment it may get cut, but I challenge the reader to yell out of their window, um, my name is so-and-so and I want to become a better person. And just yell that out of your apartment window or whatever to the street. Yeah, yeah. And, and see what comes up for you. Yeah. Because it's an innocuous statement, it's a positive statement. Right. But how willingly and how um, bereft of that blush of embarrassment are you right. when you go to do it, you know, and do you feel that anxiety and why do you feel that anxiety and then go ahead and, 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 and scream it if you can. Um, but yeah, I think that those, those practices of revolution, right, we were talking about the other day and there's that amazing thing at Sasquatch Festival where you have this dancer in the middle of a crowd and he's dancing crazy and the guy filming is laughing at him and all these people are start gathering around him laughing at him and then one kid goes up and starts making fun of him by doing what he's doing. So now it's two people dancing. Mm -hmm. The first guy and the guy making fun of him. And then his friends come up and they're making fun of him too and it's four of them. But then everyone starts realizing they're all having indistingu indistinguishably amazing time. Mm -hmm. And then next thing you know there's like 20, 30, 40 
Next thing you know, people are sprinting at this vortex of dance. It's like thousands of right. people at this point. Right, right. And it all happens in the span of whatever. But that first person is doing that thing. Right. That first person is being not socially anxious. My dad used to be naked all the time. Answer the door naked. Mm. He would stand on his head naked. Mm -hmm. When my friends came over, he was naked. Mm. He, he would do all this weird shit. And recently I asked him, I was like, why would you do all that? He's like, oh yeah. It's because I was afraid to. I was like, oh. How old is your dad now? He's 85. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen videos. Yeah. Yeah. So he, you know, so he was doing that practice. Do you think your own compulsion to break free of of all that is is, is inherited from your dad? Is it something you passed on to? I mean, I think that that um, we inherit more than just the the basic DNA from our parents. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. As you're listening to this conversation with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might feel inspired to go deeper into your own expression of radical brilliance. Come join us for a one-week Radical Brilliance Laboratory held in a beautiful rural location in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. During the laboratory, you'll have an opportunity to dive deeply into all four quadrants of the brilliant cycle. This means you'll be able to explore experiences of consciousness without boundaries. And you'll be able to start accessing original impulses of creativity from within yourself that can become your unique contribution to the world. You can get in touch with your own learning and integrate mistakes that will allow you to mature and grow. You'll have the chance to deeply mine your own resources as well as connect with other brilliant people in a small, intimate context for a week. You can check out the Radical Brilliance Laboratories at RadicalBrilliance.com under the Events tab. You know, it's funny you talked about, you know, like shouting out the window. Because I've actually, been, I've suffered massive social anxiety in my life, like crippling and really. And, and it actually becomes a self-fulfilling, it's like a, a downward spiral because actually the more social anxiety runs you, the more you try and be cool, the more uncool you become, sure. and the more lonely you become, and then the, tr the harder you try. Right. And actually what broke it for me was not so much doing, because whenever I tried to do outrageous things, it was actually all, was all part of right. trying to get a reaction. Sure, people. right. So actually what broke it for me, well, there's two things. First of all, was actually solitude. Um, I've developed a love of being alone, like seeing this for the whole weekend. Yeah. Right. Because, and that speaks back to the, the, the real, the real freedom is to remember that this social anxiety is a fear of death, but it's a, an irrational fear of death. And once you are not afraid to be killed by the group, essentially, no stop, is it? Like it. Um, once you, once you're not afraid to be killed, if you do go out in the street, if you, once you realize it's an irrational fear, 
and you have a sense of your aloneness being okay, which is what happened when you went by yeah. yourself. Because we're not going to die if we're alone. Yeah. That might have been the world like many, many moons ago, but it's not the world right now. For some people maybe, but for those of us who are lucky that it's not the world, that's not our world. Yeah. And if it is, yeah, you employ your social life. If you're in a group and you got captured by some fucking fucked up thing and you can't get out unless they, and you behave a certain way or they'll kill you, you start you know, you, you use your brain and you and you, you conform until you have a, you know, I don't know what the fuck, you know, yeah. but like, but it's not, not that it's out. not a useful yeah. tool, it's just that it's not a useful tool to have running your life all the time without your input. For sure, yeah. for sure. The other thing that's really, uh, I think, reduced enormously for me is my marriage. And, and not so much like having her, but actually focusing on loving somebody, you know, actually like making a practice of wanting to love. Mm. And I, I'm wondering if you, you know, if that if that weaves into your book, because I know I know that you you, know, you had a daughter seven years ago who's become a focal point for your love. Yeah. Um. I think love is this like. Um, I feel like the gods look down on us. The one thing the gods are like mesmerized by us about. And they invent us just so they can see love in action, yes, all the right. crazy shit we do. Right, right. Just mesmerized, but also in awe of it, and really struck and taken by it. Um, because if I was a god and I was watching Earth, that's what I would be so taken by. Yeah. Is these these this feeling that these people have, and and the way that they correspond that to actions, and and how it sort of lifts them up and takes them down, and causes war and marriage and all of these amazing. Yeah. sort of emotional emotional things and yet how it's this force when harnessed that could bring the whole world together immediately and to see humans play that out yeah. this thing that we have at our disposal where we could literally just stop all the problems right now yeah you know with giving with enough love you have so much empathy we're giving things to each other we're, yeah. we spread everything out and we're just like mm -hmm. in this state of pure love and being because love the state of love is a, is a state where you don't feel um, in danger like when you're in love even if you're you know if you're in that place of love like you're held yeah you know and so then all of a sudden possession ship goes down and all yeah. these other things go. yeah 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 it's probably the one thing that will I, I would imagine it's the one thing we'll never be able to program ai to do yeah they could simulate it pretty pretty well, well I so could human beings yeah. simulate it pretty well right. exactly yeah no, but the book doesn't get too into that. I'm, you know, there's there's a certain awareness I have of the culture at large and their willingness to sort of digest um, new ageisms. Yeah. And um, yeah, right. And keeping things on the ground in a certain way is important to me in uh, in my communication. I used to be a little bit more the other way, but uh, yeah, I'm really interested in on the ground problems and solving them. It's incrementalist, um, and that's why a lot of people shy away from it, and they'd rather go meditate and save the whole world by putting it in pink light. Yeah. And that's cool, too, but not to the obviation of, like, right. boots on the ground well, yeah, doing stuff. You, I know, you were at um, Standing Rock. You took a really active interest in the most recent election. Right? Yeah. I think you were really with Bernie, do yeah. you remember? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How does how do, what how, what's the relationship between that and social anxiety and cool and music? Like, is that at least compartmentalized for you, or do they bleed into each other? Um, 
It's a question I don't really know the answer to, uh, like where it came from for me. But for me, inequality has always just really upset me. My my own uh, my own my own birthing into like upper middle class mm -hmm. uh, household upset me from like a really early age, okay. like six. Yeah, like, right. I was like, what the fuck? And, I, and then I was doing track and field, and I was hanging with these inner city kids, and I immediately started to notice the difference in culture, of of this uptight. Uh, society where all these rules are like really stringently enforced, sound laws and, 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 and no making rackets over here past this time, no one in the street and all these things and everyone's got gates over their homes. And then, you know, um, this other culture which was um, celebratory. And dancing in the street. Dancing right? in the street. Yeah. And it, it's really not a lionization of poverty and its effects. It's, it's not. I'm not that naive. Um, it's it's got to do with, um, with with possessionship and what shackles possessionship put on you without your knowledge. They unwittingly shackle your behavior because you're suddenly in the process of like counting what's yours and keeping it all good. Right, right. Um, keeping the property property values we're keeping, you know, like people of color out of neighborhoods forever. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I'll never forget the, the first time I like really moved out of like a white neighborhood. Uh, into a like basically entirely Mexican neighborhood in East LA. It was 4 a.m. and I was playing my music really loud. And the next day, the guy, the next door, it was kind of like an essay, came up to me and he's like, "Hey man, I heard you playing music at like 4 a.m. last night." I was like, oh, "I'm sorry, I, I know I'm sorry." He's like, oh, it was cool." <laughs> I was like, "Wow, wow, um, this is different." Right. You know, there's like an appreciation for my inspiration. Yeah, yeah, if it was at 4 a.m., like right. he appreciated it or something. There wasn't and a sense of his space. I'm yeah. evading his space. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, you know. So yeah. anyway, it's an interesting, it's an interesting whole conversation where like you know culture and, and economics sort of intersect and why sure. what what effects they have on each other, negative and positive, obviously. Well, what I'm what I'm hearing in that is instead of actually, instead of enforcing the rigidity of my way. He actually found something to enjoy in what was happening outside of his control, which I've I've actually had to learn a lot from having come from a privileged background. Is I've I've had to learn over a long period of time when something doesn't happen the way I think it should, to actually look for the richness in the way it is happening instead of enforcing the way I think it should. It might be that enlightened, and it might also just be that he's like people that don't. <laughs> Does that sound enlightened? Well, yeah. I mean, that would be a very enlightened thing for him to like come to. Yeah. Like that'd be a. a evolution of the human psyche yeah um, but it also just might be that by not having so many possessions not being used to be take caretaking all your possessions and having the sense of your space yeah and you know growing up with a bunch of siblings in your like midst and not having this personal space sort of thing yeah where suddenly someone's like talking over the thing and I'm like ah oh, someone tell them to shut the hell up yeah right. it's like that and that's a thing you know that I grew up with yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so I'm gonna wind up. I feel like people most often connect with you through your music, and they, I don't think most people could probably be really interested to hear all these things that you're reflecting on, but it's not so common way for people to meet you. So I'm gonna ask you, like, is there something I didn't bring up? That you well, really I'll, I'll finish the last bit. You asked what connected politics, music, whatever. Yeah, okay. Um, so uh, one thing that I've noticed is that the live shows, I always want to have be communal experiences. I don't like having set lists. I like giving the microphone to the audience, having them call out songs, having them sing, yeah. do whatever it is. Right. 
and if the mic doesn't come, it's a real trust thing. And I think that trust, trusting, trusting the people at large, trusting humanity, I think we're really capable beings. Yeah. yeah. I think we're magical, you yeah. know? Like that concept of love and how we have these amazing tools at our disposal. We're, we're superhuman if we want to be. Yeah. And, and I think trusting the people at large is, a sim is symbolic of understanding that that power exists and that we all can make this happen together if we tap into it. And so handing the mic to people, trusting in the idea of, of you know, uh, some variation on democracy where um, it's closer to the actual meaning of the people, mm. um, obviously, and uh, and all those things really speak to me. So, yeah, I think it's important to have things that you believe in. I think pessimism is um, is simply the cowardice of not wanting to be embarrassed by your optimism. So, you just you can't be a coward. It's a great quotable moment to end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks so much for, right. for doing this. Thanks a lot. Oh yeah. Wow. Well, I hope that was uh, inspiring um, for its sort of audacious originality. I love how Alex just says things and does things different from anybody else. He's, he's living what he's talking about. I'd like to ask you to reflect a little bit. It would be good to have a conversation with a friend about this if you have a chance. Uh, sit down and uh, with somebody close to you. and Perhaps you could re reflect upon some of the main decisions you've made in your life that were inspired by social anxiety. What are some of the decisions you made to fit in, to conform, to get approval, to feel that you belong? For most of us, it's a very long list. You might also like to reflect upon what are some of the rare times when you fully transcended social anxiety and did something or said something or went somewhere because it was the right thing to do, because you knew it was the right thing to do and it happened because of your connection with yourself or your connection with the Great Spirit. Reflecting upon the decisions you made fueled by social anxiety and the decisions you made when, they, when you transcended social anxiety and looking at the results of each of those decisions will allow you tremendously greater freedom to act authentically during the rest of your life. See you next time on the Radical Brilliance podcast.